When you're recovering from family dysfunction, one of the most important tasks is to come out of denial. And that means several things. Typically, denial means you say, that didn't happen or that's not true. That's some of what happens when you're recovering from family dysfunction and from trauma. But mainly, it's coming out of denial that that was fucked up or coming out of denial that something was dysfunctional or that you were traumatized. It also means that you start to put things together as being related that you didn't see as being related before. Hi, I'm Barb Nangle. I want to welcome you to my podcast, Fragmented to Whole Life Lessons from 12-Step Recovery, where I help people heal their emotional, psychological, and spiritual wounds and make deep, lasting changes in their lives. I'm the founder and CEO of Higher Power Coaching and Consulting, LLC, where I coach people on how to develop healthy boundaries. On this podcast, I share my experience, strength, and hope from recovery. I don't support or endorse any particular 12-step recovery fellowship, and I don't claim to speak for any particular 12-step fellowship. I also don't believe that 12-step recovery is the only way to recover. You might need additional help. My hope is that you'll find my words concretely helpful in improving your life, whether you're in recovery or not. This denial shit is so pervasive and so insidious that it takes a long time to come out of. If you haven't already listened to my other two episodes about denial, which are episodes 17 and 23, you should probably go back and listen to them before you listen to this one. What you will hear is that a few weeks after I recorded the first episode, I realized, oh my God, this is the story I should have told about denial, which is the story I tell in episode 23. Then when you listen to those, come back and listen to this one. I've linked them in the show notes. This is episode 182, Denial 3.0. Last weekend, I went glamping with my sweetheart, which was awesome. If you don't know what glamping is, it's a mashup of the words glamorous and camping. It's still camping, you're still in the woods, you still don't have running water and all that stuff. But the glamorous part comes from the fact that you're in a much larger tent than you typically are when you're camping. You're in a bed with a mattress and blankets, and there's heat and a coffee maker and all that sort of thing. We loved it. We got to have all of the best parts of camping, which is being in nature and having a campfire, and none of the shitty parts which is things like sleeping on the ground, not having room for anything, freezing your ass off. Anyway, we went glamping because we wanted to go away to celebrate our four-year anniversary. And I wanted to take my sweetheart around my hometown to show him where I grew up, which is about an hour from New Haven where I live now. So we went glamping in the town next to my hometown. About halfway through the day, of driving him around and showing him all these different places, I realized that the majority of the places I was pointing out to him were places where I partied. I was like, well, I got drunk there. 
I got high there. I bought liquor there. I drank behind that 7-Eleven. That was one of the bars I hung out in. That's the bar I threw up in. That's the one I did this and that. And I finally said to him, I'm realizing like, holy shit, this was literally what I did in my youth and young adulthood and adulthood. The focal point of my life was getting high and drunk. I thought of it as partying. I remember thinking when I was in high school that I was, quote, cool for getting high. At the time, I had really no idea how fucked up my life was, how fucking ridiculous it was to get this fucking high all the time. When I was young, there was a bumper sticker that said, reality is for people who can't handle drugs. And I used to think, yeah, right on. I thought that was so true. And now I'm like, that is so fucking sad because the truth is actually that drugs are for people who cannot handle reality. As we were driving back home after this glamping trip and the tour of my substance use scenes, I had this realization of what a central part of my life substance use was which is so very different from what my life is like now. I live a life of meaning and purpose now, but I didn't even know what that meant back then. I realized that noticing the massive amount of substance use and how far that life differs from my current experience was helping me to come even further out of the denial of how much dysfunction there was in my family. Before I got into recovery, I kind of looked on the outside like I had my shit together because in some respects I did. I made it through college. I got a master's degree. I had a career at Yale. I managed to buy a home. I paid my taxes. I was a contributing citizen. I voted. I volunteered and all that sort of thing. But meanwhile, all my relationships were a fucking mess. Now, I knew before recovery that all my romantic relationships were a mess, but I really didn't get until recovery that all of my relationships were a mess. My friendships were super codependent. My work relationships were codependent. And I was essentially recreating my family of origin everywhere I went. Now, I feel like I have really strong recovery now. I've been in recovery for seven and a half years, almost to the day, actually. But I feel like the denial is still lifting. There's a part of me that keeps thinking, it wasn't really that bad. Now, objectively, I did not have it as bad as many people in recovery. I didn't get the shit kicked out of me. I didn't get my bones broken. I didn't get raped. I wasn't told every day, you're a piece of shit. I had food, clothing, shelter. My mom was pretty loving. And all those things are true. And I still ended up with trauma. I still had unmet needs. I still had the absence of good things happening to me. A well-adjusted child who grows up in a healthy, affirming, nurturing family does not need to get high and drunk every fucking day of her life. From the time I first smoked weed, which was a week into my freshman year of high school, so I was 14, 
until I was 24. I was either high, trying to get high, or sleeping. And when I say high, I mean high or drunk. Now, that doesn't mean it stopped at 24. It just means that it wasn't the absolute focal point of my life after that. I continued to drink very heavily until I was in my early 40s. I would say that I was a heavy drinker as defined by the AA Big Book. At the time, I think I referred to myself as a problem drinker. And I know that there were many times that I wondered if I was an alcoholic. But I definitely had a problem with drugs and alcohol, even though it was no longer the focal point of my life once I got to age 24. It was still very important. And at 24, that was when I got introduced to self-help and personal development. And I was like, oh, holy shit, this is amazing. And it's also when I started going back to school. I had gone to college when I was 19 because basically my parents told me to, but I dropped out in my second semester. I just didn't want to be there. And I pretty much partied my way through those 1.5 semesters anyway. Once I dropped out, I worked at some shitty ass jobs. And then when I was 24, I started taking classes one at a time at community college because I was like, you know, maybe there is something to this education thing that my parents told me about. Now, I was still getting high and drunk all the time. And at 31, I finally got my bachelor's degree. At 37, I got my master's degree. But I actually drank pretty heavily all that time. And for me, drinking was about getting drunk. The idea that people would have a glass of wine or a beer was just fucking insane to me. Like, what's the point of that? I just did not get it. And then something happened to me in my early 40s where I just sort of stopped. I stopped drinking. I stopped smoking cigarettes, which, by the way, I was hiding and lying about. Unless, of course, I was out drinking with friends who smoked. Then I would smoke publicly. And one day I realized, wow, it's been a while since I drank. So I didn't make a decision to quit. It just sort of happened. But I was well into the food by then, and I was still getting high with weed. It just wasn't the focal point of my life the way that it had been from, say, 14 to 24. Looking back on all that, those are not the habits of somebody who was a well-adjusted person that grew up in a healthy, nurturing family. It's pretty hard to deny that having this experience this last weekend and really looking back at the patterns, it's helping me to come even further out of denial. Now, the kind of denial that I've been talking about thus far is about denying the reality of a situation or denying the severity of the situation. When you're recovering from family dysfunction, one of the most important tasks is to come out of denial. And that means several things. Typically, denial means you say, that didn't happen, or that's not true. That's some of what happens when you're recovering from family dysfunction and from trauma. But mainly, it's coming out of denial that that was fucked up, or 
coming out of denial that something was dysfunctional or that you were traumatized, it also means that you start to put things together as being related that you didn't see as being related before. It also means you start to remember things that you never remembered before. Many people in recovery have gigantic swaths of their childhoods that they just don't remember. And that's a protective mechanism. Our psyches only let stuff bubble up to the surface when we are ready psychologically to deal with it. It's a trauma response to forget painful shit. Well, there's another kind of denial that we have to come out of in recovery, and that is the denial of our own needs. And before I proceed with that, I want to read a quote from a piece of recovery literature, which is the thing I read this week that helped me to pull all of this together. And it says, quote, the denial of our needs is a small price to pay to avoid the overwhelming sense of loss buried under layers of self-sufficiency, end quote. It goes on to say, quote, we created an intricate web of denial that sustained us within the dysfunctional family. We begin to take responsibility for ourselves and no longer depend on others to tell us who we are or should be, end quote. Now, when I originally read that, I wrote in the margins, quote, denying needs allows us to deny the loss, end quote. So I want to pause for a moment and let that sink in. Denying our needs allows us to deny the loss. As children in dysfunctional families, we deny that we have needs. And we do this because we don't want to acknowledge the loss that results from not getting needs met by our parents. For certain, this means we didn't get our emotional needs met. And for some kids in dysfunctional families, it's also our physical needs that don't get met, like food, clothing, shelter, cleanliness, affection. We've learned to deny our needs because we don't want to face what we've lost. And part of the way we do that is by becoming rigidly self-sufficient. We act as if we don't need other people because if we don't need other people, then we can feel like we don't have needs. And that means we don't have to face the loss. We don't have to acknowledge my parents couldn't give me the love, nurturing, affirmation, and affection that I so desperately craved, which By the way, I craved because I'm a human, and those are inborn needs for all humans. We don't have those needs because we're defective. It's not because we're a burden. It's not because there's anything wrong with us. It's because we are human. That is why we have those needs. Humans are pack animals. We are wired for connection. And when we don't get that connection, we have to go into denial about it. And so 
We need to come out of denial when we get into recovery and we stop denying that we have needs. We need to stop denying ourselves things that bring us joy. As if somehow I can martyr myself enough and it will get me the attention or the affection or the worthiness or the affirmation from the outside world, from our loved ones. We tell ourselves, I need to be rigidly self-sufficient because I don't want to be a burden on anybody because I don't want them to abandon me. This denial shit is so fucking insidious that this is my third episode about denial. I have no doubt that in the years to come, there will be even more episodes about denial. And I don't have a way to wrap this up in a neat bow. I don't have a way to say, here's what you need to do to come out of denial. I think that it's all of it. It's all of recovery. I was saying to somebody on the way home from a meeting tonight that one of the many reasons it is so damn important to go to meetings is because when you hear other people's stories, you're like, holy shit, that happened to me. Or, oh my God, I had no idea that's what that meant. Or you think, oh, now I get it. We're able to put the pieces of our own stories together by listening to other people's stories. All these things help us to come out of denial bit by bit. And we're also able to realize we are not alone when we hear other stories. Because one of the things all of us in recovery do, regardless of why we're in recovery, is that we're super good at isolating and keeping ourselves separate from other people and acting as if we are the only one who has whatever affliction we have or we're the only one who has it as bad as we have it or we feel we're separate or apart from everyone else or we have a lot of shame and we think that people would just fucking ridicule us and humiliate us if we knew that we did this thing. And then we walk into a room where 15 other people say, I do that same weird thing that you do. Maybe it's that same weird thing with food or that same weird pattern of relationships that I do over and over again, regardless of how much it's harming me. And when I see that I'm in a room of other people like me, that helps me to come out of denial because I'm not alone. I'm not uniquely flawed. I am not beyond hope. I am not terminally unique. I am a beloved child of God. So again, there's no way to wrap this up in a neat bow except to say that this journey out of denial is so important and it's so nuanced that you need to keep coming back and keep sharing your story because you never know who you're going to help climb out of denial. And you want to keep listening to other people's stories to remember that you are not alone. If you're ready to finally have an enjoyable, relaxing summer doing things you really want to do instead of always following other people's agendas, 
I have some openings for private clients right now. If you are really tired of saying yes to things you really don't want to do and being overly accommodating to others, this is for you. It's time to start accommodating yourself. Maybe you're dissatisfied with your relationships and overwhelmed with all kinds of difficult feelings because of your interactions with others. If you'd like to get your life in order before the summer hits, go to barbchat.net and sign up for a free 30-minute call with me about my private coaching so we can get started right away. That way, you'll be done by summer. This is for people who are finally ready to make deep, lasting changes in their relationship patterns, including their relationships with themselves, their partners, family, friends, and colleagues. Go to barbchat.net. If you like this podcast, and I'm guessing you did or you wouldn't still be listening, then you're going to love the other things I have to offer. If you'd love pre-release podcast scripts and episodes before anyone else gets them, or if you'd love access to content from my private vault that I developed exclusively for my private clients, which is like having a work session with me without me actually being there, go to patreon.com slash higher power coaching. There are three tiers ranging from as low as $4 up to $24 a month. You'll also love my weekly newsletter, Friday Fragments, which has content very similar to the podcast. You can check it out at fridayfragments.news. That's fridayfragments.news. Please like and subscribe to my podcast on your favorite podcast outlet. I'd also love it if you'd leave a review, which you can do either in the show notes or on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find my podcast so they can get the benefits you've gotten from listening. If someone came to mind when you listened to this particular episode, please share it with them. And my favorite place to hang out on social media is Instagram. I'm at Higher Power Coaching. Please DM me there. I'd love to hear what you got from this episode. I run group and private coaching programs on building healthy boundaries. Whether you need help with boundaries in your personal, professional, or romantic life, I can help. Head on over to barbchat.net where you can hop onto my calendar for a free 30-minute Better Boundaries consultation. My ideal client is someone who is ripe for change. If that's you, I would love to work with you. My goal with all my work is to help you make lasting changes in your life like I've made deep, lasting changes in my life. Remember, it's never too late to recover. No one is beyond hope and healing is possible. Thanks for listening.